And now, the Andy Greenwald Podcast. Andy, Andy. Welcome to the Grandland Network. My name is Andy Greenwald. I am here in our sweltering New York studio, and my guests today are joining me from what I can only assume to be relatively cool Los Angeles. They are the writers and directors of Vacation, a new line pictures comedy that is in theaters now. Uh... John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Good. It's very frigid in here, actually, so we, the keep, two counter each other. They keep the man cave chilly. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I want you guys to be... It's like what Letterman does, right? He keeps people chilly to keep That's, them yeah. on edge. Exactly. That's very smart. We're going to laugh at everything you say because of it. <laughs> That's fantastic. I've got my A material. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you about Vacation, which I enjoyed very much. I, I want to talk to you about your recently announced gig as writers of the new Spider-Man movie. But first, I really want to ask you about your relationship, if that's okay. Sure. If, as long as you don't, don't get too intimate. Yeah. Well, that's why I have the temperature where it is. I want it to be very, <laughs> very intimate. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, you guys wrote Vacation together. You directed it together. I assume you spent time in post-production and editing together. And, right. and now you're doing uh, press together. Yes. Are you sick of each other yet? You, you would think at this point we would be. I mean, we've written together for since 2007, um, and we've known each other for about 10 years, more, 12, 13. Yeah, so uh, I, I think that the reason the reason why we're still together is because we're not we we don't get sick of each other, which is it, fortunate. It is a lot. There is a lot like a marriage having a writing and directing partner. We have our arguments and we scream at each other, and then we make up and we feel bad for for yelling at each other. It's really kind of adorable, um, but ultimately it seems to work because we're very much on the same page. Um, comedically um, we both think the same things are funny and we're always pushing the other one to make it funnier and that's kind of the, the process that's been working for us so far is not settling for the first thing if one of us thinks it's funny it may not be that funny but if both of us thinks it's funny it's usually funny that's a good way of working that seems very healthy and sane and like that, that that seems like it's workable um Obviously, Vacation is... I'm not sure what you guys are calling it. It's sort of the continuation of a beloved film series. A it's sequel. not quite a remake. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sequel. Um, vacation, the original, the 1983 film, is one of those movies that many, many people adore, many people quote liberally. Um, but I also feel like, it, you know, from this distance of, what, 32 years, everyone has their own version of the movie that they remember. You know, some people like the family dynamic. Some people like the part where they eat the sandwich that the cat peed on. Right. Um, for you guys, I'm sure you had seen the movie many times. What was the core of the movie to you, even before you had this job? I, well, for me, it was... The fact that it was an R-rated family comedy, and that was so right. strange to me because you'd never seen anything like that before, where you can go to really dark territory with this family, and yet they always feel like a real family, and that was always uh, appealing to, to both of us. Yeah, I think that um, what makes the, the movie, the original, so kind of timeless is that relatability, that everybody more or less has a family, everybody's kind of taken these road trips, and it brings out the worst in everybody. And yet there's so much pressure on it for it to be fun because this is our vacation. We've got to enjoy ourselves. And right. we wanted to try and recapture that spirit and bring it to this next generation, you know, with Rusty grown up, taking his family on the, basically the same kind of road trip to the same destination, but a lot of different things happen. 
Can you talk me through the timeline of your involvement in the film? Was this something that was pitched to you as something that you, you know, that you might want to work on? Or did you hear this was out there and you workshopped it and brought your take on it to the studio? We had a, a standing relationship with the studio New Line um, from other work we had done. And so they came to us and said, you know, we're looking at reviving the franchise of Vacation, just as writers initially. And we were very interested because we loved the, the, the original film. And we thought, you know, this could be a really fun opportunity to sort of bring it to a new audience. And what was, what was great about just being asked to write it, too, is that there's none of that additional pressure that comes with directing it. Uh, so <laughs> that, that was something later. that we felt mm-hmm. exactly once we, once we got the job to direct it, which we were thrilled to do, but we also knew that it was going to be a daunting task. We knew that there were going to be haters, uh, and uh, we still felt like we could, we could make a new uh, version of this, of this movie, uh, 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 an addition to this franchise in our own voice that speaks to a generation that hasn't necessarily seen the original. Right, because the advantage of being a screenwriter is that you can do your best work and you can turn it in, and then if it doesn't turn out well, you could be like, oh, yeah, they changed it all. You're protected. Yeah. The no, that's very, it's very true. Um, and we probably would have written an easier movie to shoot had we known right. that we were going to be saddled with directing it, because this is not the first movie I would wish on any first-time director. It's, there's it's, some uh, ambitious Whitewater stuff rafting? There, yeah. You don't want to shoot. Whitewater rafting is not easy to film. <laughs> No, you, you, you want to shoot a movie of like five people in a, in a room, yeah. right? In I'd say time. three. I'd say two. Three. Two. Just so you have oh, two angles. My dinner with Andre. <laughs> that's a good first movie to film. That's sort of a way to ease into it, right? There you yes. go. Um, so when you, so you, you, you spoke to New Line, um, you had your take. What was, I, I asked you a moment ago about what you identified as the core thing in the, in the original movie, and maybe the answer is going to be the same, but what was the first idea that you had, and I assume that it would have to have been an idea that both of you had or both of you were into, that made you feel like, oh, okay, we've, we've got this. We've cracked how to make this, how to, do, how to respect the original, but to do something new. Well, I think we knew that we had to approach it from a different way, obviously, because the original had done so, so much in that movie and established so many things in just in, in that genre uh, yeah. that, we, that we had to approach it as, as a completely new, different movie. And so I think the thing that, that uh, uh, was attractive to us was giving each character their own story and their own arc that we can track throughout the the course of their trip. Because yeah. in the original, it's pretty much just Chevy's journey and and his family, you know, going along for the ride. But we like the idea. We have these amazing actors. We have Christina Applegate, who is one of the funniest actors out there. Why not give her an edge? Give her something beyond just rolling her eyes at her husband. Yeah, so it was really sort of locking in what are what are the stories each of them are, are what are we following through, and where's the emotional kind of journey that you're on? Because there's, you know, when you do a road movie, it's kind of one episode after another, and so you want the audience to be carried along by more than just we're on a trip. Talk to me, this this might be very granular, and you might not even remember this moment, but but I, I'm just curious, like, where, where you guys work, the setup, like, the moment you, you decided, oh, well, what if there are two brothers and the younger one bullies the older one? Like, is that a high-five moment? Is that a uh, let's, let's yeah, take a, it was a yeah, third totally coffee a break today moment? Yeah, I don't, sure. where, do you remember I don't where remember. it came from? I mean, we knew we wanted to have two boys because it was a, a different dynamic from the original. And then it sort of organically, I think, about we knew and, and we liked the idea. James was a little bit inspired by who I was as a teenager, which I was totally into Jack Kerouac and Ken Kesey and, and the Beat Poets and all this stuff. And I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm going to change the world with my writing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, this, I'm a know. man of words. A man I'm of words. Be a poet. And then 
And we like the idea of like this little punk brother who's not physically intimidating anyway, but he terrorizes right. this, this older brother. I, you know, I will say, I think we, we knew from the get-go, probably the first thing that we thought of was to make the little brother devious. And I don't think that that necessarily, uh, we, we thought, oh, that could affect, you know, the relationship between the two boys at that point. I think we thought it would be fun to see this adorable little kid that's kind of like the bad seed. Yeah, I think at one point he was going to be sort of a ladies' man. We had a whole scene at that sorority house where he goes in and he's going to hook up with a 19-year-old girl. But it all felt a little fakey. We wanted to keep him a real kid with a kid's awareness of sexuality and stuff or lack of awareness. So I guess the the relationship between the two boys organically came from the character traits that we gave them. And then once we figured that out, we were like, oh, we got to roll with this. This is the the relationship. This is the most important part of it. And then when we cast the little one, Steel Stebbins, I mean, he's such a great actor. I mean, they both really steal the show. They're so good. But Steel's such an angelic-looking kid. It's a lot of fun to see him swear. And he's just, it feels like weirdly natural coming from him when it's not really at all. You mentioned the the challenges that are sort of baked into making a road movie from a directorial standpoint, but I, I can't help but think that there's some advantages from a writer standpoint because you can literally break it up into segments there, you know, at, in tracking their progress. Mm-hmm. Are, are you the type of screenwriters that do you have like the, the Carrie Matheson on Homeland crazy tack board of where they are in the movie and you break it up like that? We or do should. you <laughs> we bought, feel free well, to take that idea? We, yeah. we, we took pride in our first uh, whiteboard that we bought <laughs> and we and we wrote very proudly the, the title of the movie on it, Vacation. Mm. And beyond that, I don't think we wrote anything else on there except part, for well, part doodles. Of the, part of the problem was it wasn't a big enough whiteboard. <laughs> like when you work on a right. sitcom, it's a whole wall of whiteboards. You got a budget, we, we you got a budget one, whiteboard. Yeah, we bought a whiteboard. There's like a small, you know, plasma TV kind of, and you quickly run out of space even if you were going to use it. But we definitely approached it from a standpoint of like what are the – what are the big set pieces? We wanted to make sure that right. we're equally spreading out what they like to call trailer moments throughout the movie where there's visual fun and those would all kind of happen. And, and then we literally looked at a map of the U.S. and said, they're starting Chicago, they're going to California. What geographically makes sense to hit along the way? That's yeah, how and, Four Corners came about. And we, when we established sort of the tone very early on when we were devising it, and so once we knew that it was going to be on the broader side, raunchier, where we can pretty much get away with anything uh it allowed us to look at each stop along the way as its own little sketch comedy moment with the connective tissue being the road and when they're in the car um so it was it was a really fun process and to and and constantly evolving too it took it took uh so many iterations for us to get to uh the final the final product also made it a lot of fun during the shooting because each couple days we'd show up and it was a different cast almost i mean we had our core family but you'd have charlie day one week then the next week it was chris hemsworth and leslie mann and then you had you know keegan and so you never knew quite who was going to be there to have fun with another fun device i think that came from it was just cutting to the road once we're out of the the whatever craziness we're into it's always fun to just go straight to an exterior of their car driving along as though nothing (laughs) ever happened (laughs) <laughs> right. They, they somehow recover pretty quickly yeah. from each indignity. Um, you, you mentioned Christina Applegate, and I, I think her performance in this movie is really great. And she seemed, you mentioned how, how talented and funny is, she is. She also seems like a very good sport. And I don't want to spoil uh, anything about the movie, to be honest. But it did feel kind of like a, a strong feminist moment that the wife in the movie is the one who gets to bazooka barf uh-huh. everywhere. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. That, that, and, and we're, she, and we're ex- physically exploiting Chris Hemsworth in this one for his body. That, that's <laughs> right. Also so kind of new. When you went to 
I, I don't. I imagine she saw the script, but when you you sat with Christina, like, was she excited to be the one to get to do the gross stuff this time? Yeah. Uh, you know, because she's she's a veteran of this kind of comedy, but mm-hmm. you know, she's the one who had to sort of smell the uh, the cologne in Anchorman. She never really got to wear it. <laughs> That's right. Um, no, actually, once we cast her, we spent some time with her, and she really was pushing, and we embraced the notion that Debbie, the wife, should have a lot more to do, and and this layers to her and a backstory that's kind of um, a little dark, darker than who Rusty is, certainly. And um, and so that whole chug run sequence you're talking about kind of came out of some of those conversations with Christina. Yeah, and by giving her that edge, too, and establishing it as one of the very first uh, set pieces along the way, you kind of know what she's thinking for the rest of the time. So it, it right. adds an additional layer to whatever is going on with the, the, the silliness of the moment. You can you can understand now what, what Debbie might be thinking. You mentioned some of the great performers that you have in the cast. There's something I've always been curious about, and I'm hoping you can help uh, help me understand it. What is the... How does the economy of cameos work in Hollywood movies? Because you mentioned the four-corner sequence. Again, I'm not going to say anything more about it, but that was by far, I think, my favorite part of the movie. That was just... That was hilarious, uh, both in performance and in conception. You have some great people showing up there just for that scene. How does that work? Is it people you have in your phone already? Is it calling in favors? Do you do you call in favors and then someone at the studio is like, okay, I'll, I'll make the numbers work? Do their agents even know they're it's a, in it's Utah for the day? It's a very complicated process, and it's a lot of political moves that happen. Some of it is right. prior relationships. Charlie Day, we knew from having done Horrible Bosses with him. Right. Um, in the Four Corners, I think we always knew we wanted Michael Pena to be one of the guys, too. <laughs> and fortunately, he was in Atlanta. That's one of the benefits of shooting in Atlanta. There's other productions going on. It would also be shooting, a benefit. He was shooting Ant-Man he was at shooting the time. Ant-Man. I mean, I'm sure that would be a benefit if we were in L.A., but we couldn't shoot in L.A. So, um, And Ron Livingston was also in Atlanta for another movie. But, no, I mean, we, we, we had people in mind. We didn't know who was going to be available because it's, it's, it's sort of an ask to have them come out just for, you know, a, a day uh, and deal with the travel and all that. But they were all really excited to do it. I think just the fact that they, they, they read the script and they were into like playing these characters. And we wanted to be sure to give each character their own backstory. What, however small it is, uh, it allows them to have fun with, with, with the material. And, and uh, otherwise, you're just asking someone to come in and, and like say a couple lines of exposition and then go home, right. which but is not gratifying at all. You, you asked about the economics. I mean, it is a really interesting process because there were some cases where people just wanted more money than we could realistically offer, um, so we would move on. But um, and you know and you you get some big cameos and that takes up a chunk of your budget and then you're left with this chunk of money. But the studio will, if they're excited about someone, they'll generally find the money for that person. It's um, funny they say there's we have no money left, <laughs> and then you tell them, well, Brad Pitt wants to do it. We've got money left. It's a, well, there's a slush fund, right? There's yeah. always a slush there's fund. always a slush fund. Well, if they feel good about the movie, if they feel the movie's gonna be okay, then they'll put money behind. Right. I mean, music is another interesting area economically right. because you, what we do is. In our temp versions, we put in our dream songs, which we know are going to cost a fortune. And then sometimes the studio gets so attached to those songs that when you swap in a cheaper song later, they're like, what happened to that great $150,000, $200,000 song? Well, pony right, yeah. all of a sudden the money they said they didn't have, they do. That's a trick we've learned now. Well, I hope the Sleigh Bell song was one of your dream songs, because that was perfect. That was that was actually something our, our editor, editor cut yeah. in, uh, uh-huh. Jamie Gross. And she's uh, she's so talented and, and, and sort of, at that point, because we shot that new 
near the end of the movie. She got the tone of of what we were going <laughs> for with her assemblies, you know, her early cuts. And so that was the uh, temp song that she put in, and we kept trying. We were swapping it out for other things to potentially see how they played, and nothing played as well as that. Yeah, we had Zeppelin in there. We had all kinds <laughs> of things. It didn't really do it. Oh, it's it. great. Well, I was also really, really happy that you, you, you know, if it wasn't broken, you didn't try to fix it. That you kept Lindsay Buckingham's uh, Holiday Road in there, and, yeah. and I'll even tell you that the screening I went to, the press screening the other day, the sound wasn't working when they started the movie, oh, and so the opening credits, which were very funny, yeah. So I should let you know, it's a great silent film. I never actually heard any. Of the <laughs> How long did it take till they got the sound? No, they they let the credits go for a minute, which are you know very visually funny, and then they yeah. stopped it and restarted it. Oh, but I yeah. wanted to tell you not to put the you know the Regal Ewok on blast, but to in fact let you know that people in the audience just started singing Holiday Road, <laughs> assuming that it would be there. Yeah. And, oh, uh, good. That was were, one of the more was. fun press screenings. It sounds like. <laughs> oh, it was very. Oh, it, was it wasn't great. just Someone brought, three people <laughs> in a big room. No, I think they had given some tickets away to the general public oh, because okay, some, a woman a woman brought a baby, which was actually kind of depressing. <laughs> but that's always the baby good. Seemed, the baby That's our like primary it. demographic. That's yeah. who we're going for. We wrote a number babies. of scenes for babies. <laughs> Just a series are... of bright colors and na- noises <laughs> that don't make sense. You, and you sort of filmed an audio track on that high-pitched frequency that we, that we grow out of being able to hear. As That's right. I think predator. you might be thinking of dogs, but yeah. Oh, no, I think babies too. Um, although I can't tell them apart sometimes. Um, when watching the movie, the other thing that I really did enjoy about it was that I, I thought I could tell, and obviously we've never met before today. We haven't even really met now, but... Um, the things that matter to you guys in terms of your sensibilities. There's a really great sense of old-fashioned comedy in, interspersed with things like chug runs. There's a great, right. there's a, some great physical comedy. There's some bits with tumbleweeds that you know. Again, I won't spoil. And there also seems to be, as you alluded to, a, a strong priority on the emotional arc of the movie, even though you are hitting some trailer beats. Yeah. And yeah. I, if I'm right about assuming all that, I am wondering how does it work in terms of give and take? Because there are some moments in this movie that are that are going to be termed gross-out humor. You Absolutely. Know, there's, there's, there, there's some big moments that are trailer moments, and that is, I'm sure, partly coming from you guys and partly the nature of the game. So mm-hmm. how do you balance that relationship between what a studio wants to sell in a trailer and what you guys most want to tell in the time given to you? Well, I think we start from a place of what what is going to hook people in emotionally, because there's plenty of comedies that work fine without you caring about the characters, movies like Airplane or Monty Python films, which we love and revere. Mm-hmm. Um, what we were trying to do with this was get you involved in rooting for these people so you care a little bit about them, and then you'll follow them down these crazy roads that they take. And so our starting place was what emotional arcs are we following and what are we really rooting for, um, and then and, and grounding the characters. And, then, and the studio, it's not like that was a battle. It's not as if they were saying, get past this emotional stuff and get into the, yeah. the pooping. Um, it was really. Um, I think. I think as long as as long as they feel like it's serving the greater good of the movie, they're supportive of it. Yeah. No, I they were. I did see that email in the Sony hack though. I think <laughs> get to the poop. Get to the poop. No, they they were actually surprisingly supportive of most of the decisions we made on this movie. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think they were they were willing to to let us. Deal with the the emotional component, which I think helps to establish uh, whether or not you care about the characters, even if you don't know it. A lot, I think a lot of audiences don't really think they care about you know setting up the the rut that the family's actually in, the problems that uh, Debbie and, and Rusty are having. 
but on a to a subconscious level you you really do care and it and it elevates the comedy it makes you it makes you uh cringe even more when they're putting themselves in terrible situations where otherwise you wouldn't really give a crap when they're in crap <laughs> which actually happens in the movie <laughs> um I do want to, if with, with the time we have left, I do want to to pivot to something else you're working on. I was announced last week that you guys are writing the. This one is a reboot of of Spider Man. Uh, this is going to be the first movie that is a co production with Marvel Studios. Um, how far along are you guys in the process? I know it was only announced last week, but we're these things tend to be announced very early, extremely very early. early. Yeah, we yeah. have a, a meeting set up at the end of the week, but uh, just to go over the logistics and to to look at his suit, which will be fun. But we're, um, we're so pumped about it, and Marvel seems to be doing everything right. I mean, we're both such huge fans of the stuff that they've been putting out, and I think it'll be a fun departure from the Peter Parker that you've seen, uh, where now he is a, truly a kid. Um, yeah. And I think the stakes are increased in that his his uh, struggle through high school is very real and isn't just a sort of side note. It it matters now. I, I'm so happy that that's where you guys are with it. It's it's it strikes me and and, and you can tell me if this is inaccurate or but um, I've never met him. But but Kevin Fe- is it Feige Feige mm-hmm. Feige who sort of masterminds these movies. Above all, obviously he seems to have a skill for making movies that make billions and billions of dollars but he also seems to be able to zero in on whatever key aspect of these characters defines them yeah you know in a way that is very simple that's just like a quick so now we know so everyone people maybe didn't know who iron man was in 2007 but they got it immediately who he was once you know once they saw the first part of the movie or even the trailers the thing about Spider-Man that's always made him so popular and so great is that this is a character whose life navigating high school is just as difficult as his life swing through Manhattan fighting supervillains. Right. And they are, in fact, equal on him. And, and I feel like that's what, that's what you guys are... Yeah. yeah, that's what we love about it is that we want to explore that the fact that just because you get superpowers doesn't make you into a really uh, sophisticated, successful adult. He's still a kid, and he's clumsy, and he's a geek, and he's a bit of an outcast. And in many ways, this, the superpowers amplify that and exacerbate his tr- trying to fit in. Um, right. He has he has one more secret that he has to sort of keep from the world, one more burden that he's dealing with above all the other you know crap that he's dealing with at school. Um, so it's going to be fun, and, and we can relate to that Peter Parker character. We're 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 geeky guys that didn't uh, that weren't popular in school ourselves. Speak for yourself. Believe it or not, I, I don't know if you can see us yet, but uh, I, was, I did I, pretty I, well. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing it though. I'm picturing. It. <laughs> uh, um, am, am I am, am I right that in what I've heard that that this will likely not be an, an, another uh, telling of the origin story? That is that Correct. is what we're yeah. hearing as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that everybody feels like. Um, you know he got bit by a spider, and you know Uncle Ben died, and we <laughs> probably don't on. need to revisit that. Do you, quick quiz: Do you know what comes with great power? Uh, we don't. Uh, we, we don't we're, know. We're, it, from our Friday <laughs> meeting, I think we're going to learn. That's, yeah, they're going to tell what the us. Meeting is. Marvel's going to let us know what comes with great power. <laughs> they're the they're going to show you where the fifth infinity gem is, and also what comes with great power. <laughs> That's right. They, they parcel the stuff out very carefully. <laughs> is it? Is it fun to work on something so secretive? Because uh, obviously people are interested in what you guys were going to do with the vacation franchise. That's something that people invested in. But this is a whole different level. It's a different level. We never had to sign any non-disclosure agreements while working on vacation. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It is is fun. It's the fact that it was Rusty Griswold was like that was never a red paper. Everyone already knew. Um, And 
I, you know, it's fun and, and also terrifying too, because there is this, you know, huge amount of weight attached to all of this that we have to make sure never to overspeak or say anything that, you know, we're, we're not allowed to say. Um, we did our press junket the weekend before last, um, and we couldn't confirm or deny anything right. yet about the, the fact that we were doing this movie because the deal wasn't closed. And so it was really like, I felt like Nixon in Watergate. You just couldn't like, it's like, you know, I don't know what you're talking well, about. Well, that worked out well for him, though. So yeah, he's, there you go. he's loved now. <laughs> yeah, he's he's revered. He's utterly beloved. But he, here's the other weird thing about it. Um, you guys have the chance to basically reinvent Peter Parker um, and and give the spin on him that you guys are invested in and you believe in, and also reinvent him for Marvel Studios, who have never had a chance to work on their own iconic character. And yet the character and the actor are going to be introduced in someone else's movie, right. in uh, the, the Captain America movie next year. Do you have any say in the way he talks in that? I mean, do you have that kind of ownership? <laughs> I, he will I not. Know. I think he won't have a British accent. That's, <laughs> That's good to know. Confusing. Um, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, but but we'll see. I I, I, uh, I think, though, that we are enough on the same page with Marvel that that he will be portrayed in a way that is similar to the way that we We've end up about, portraying yeah. him. Yeah. But no, it's a fair uh, point. It's a strange, you know, it's a different kind of process than most the way most movies were. And and finally, last Spider-Man question. Um, as great as the character is and always has been, his rogues gallery, in my opinion, has never been super terrific. Mm-hmm. Can can you, without giving anything away, because I don't want you to be killed by a drone yeah. strike, how how do you plan to address that? We're bringing Lex Luthor over to <laughs> battle Spider-Man. And Godzilla. Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> that. <laughs> it's going to be remember, an epic battle. I remember when I was a kid, they used to occasionally do these crossover battles between DC and Marvel, where it was like the Hulk, course, yeah. the Hulk versus Superman, you know, and it was always weird. It felt like you're breaking the rules of comics somehow. Yeah, um, it, it two different sense, universes yeah. merging. No, I think we'll have a, a, a substantially cool um, villain for Spider-Man <laughs> to uh, to come up against. Is that um, vague enough? He'll be uh, super vague. I appreciate he'll be that. a bad guy. I think. Yeah. So ultimately, you're saying is. Villainous. He'll have different goals than Peter Parker, and they He'll will come into things, conflict at yes, some point? Yes, they'll come into conflict, and they may even physically fight. Or, think about this, Yeah. what if Peter Parker's biggest enemy is himself? I see how you guys got the job. But he's this not. This is just like... I, not, I just, it's not his biggest enemy. <laughs> his biggest oh, enemy will be the villain he fights that's not or him. Or himself. Is this one of those moments where you guys don't get along and have to get we're on the same fight. page? As soon as we're done here, we're going to have such a fight. I hate him right now. <laughs> are, are you going to take a break from each other? Like, do you, do you need to take some space? You, in all seriousness, like after this, or are you to go right back? <laughs> you no, know, we have to go right back into, right into Spider-Man. Spider-Man. It's, it's endless. Yeah. We work on weekends together. We see Aww. each other way more than Aww, we see each so other's uh, spouse. I'm not complaining. I'm just so saying hard. it's... it's uh, it's ridiculous how much time we spend with each other. I, I now I sort of understand how you were able to write a movie about people trapped in a car together for a very long time. It, it actually came from your souls. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Vacation is in theaters now. Spider-Man, I imagine, will be in theaters in 2017. Two years. Uh, Unless we now. really screw it up. <laughs> That's right. In which case, this will be torched. Never this will be buried in the dark internet. Don't worry. Uh, John Daly, Jonathan Goldstein, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.